0: No, it's a great, it's a great, great gift in, in light of um, being able to come to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper in just a few moments to, to come before the Lord and to be real, to be real with the Lord about the fears, about the things that we are finding rob us of joy, things that rob us of hope, right? No. Oh. Of the Proverbs where the hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? Uh, so, our great privilege is to be able to calm before the Lord and pray. And, beloved, one of our great privileges uh, in this season right now is also to, to pray for, for our educational community, to pray for those who are beginning this week to pour their lives into students to be able to bless students see god has called us to be a part of that blessing here at all of that that's why we move to this location god's called us to be particularly a part of blessing that school right across the street and maybe through that school symbolizing the whole educational community to be able to be a part of the solution Not just to point at problems, right? But to be a part of the solution. And so I just really wanted to encourage you. In just a few moments, we're going to pray for our educators. We're going to pray for our staff members. We're going to pray for the administrators. We're going to pray for the students who are beginning an amazing season, right? Nine months, but, but they will be different people in nine months. And our great prayer is not only will the students be different people, but... So are our teachers and our our cafeteria workers, our administrators, all the people who are pouring their life into these students. I did want to say to you that you have a a unique opportunity here to uh, pray for one teacher or administrator in particular. Uh, on the board, as you leave our foyer here and make your way to coffee and to our jam and donuts and all those good things after the service, you'll walk right by a board that says, we love our Vogel teachers and staff. Great big, great big poster on it. And then you'll see 60 plus little cards on there with bios of one of the teachers or administrators at Vogel School. And, and on the table in front of you, as you, as you pray about it, um, there's a sign-up list. And if you would like to adopt one of those teachers, they're going to give you exactly how you can pray for them on their card and what I encourage you to do, if you have a phone, is to go ahead and snap a picture of that card. We're going to leave them all up there for everyone to see and be able to prayer walk without ever leaving our building prayer walk through all the staff. But snap a picture of the one you adopt. And then, and then we just invite you, especially this week, but on a weekly or even daily basis, to lift that person up. By the way, how did you do... Last week, on your relationship mapping, I saw like two smiles in the whole thing. I saw a lot of, "Mm," never got to, that's why I stuck it back in the bulletin for you again this week. Okay, so start with the context, right? Look at those places where God has already put you, and then uh, as you pray for those places, listen for God to raise someone's name. To you, one of my places that God has called me to be effective is is Vogel School, and and, and God raised to me the name I signed up for her, for her as a prayer partner, as a principal over there, and I'm just I'm blessed to be able to pray for Jeanette. So so here's the deal, Jeanette affects at least sixty other lives right there dramatically, right? So there's she. I, I just get to pray for her, and then she blesses those around her. So I, I want to encourage you: um, take another look at that. Right? Think. Do the second part first. The context: where is God calling you to be active? And then, and then, as you as you define where, and and He leads you to who. Map the people that are that are part of their. Life and and you you start to understand that, that God has given you incredible impact on our community, right? Without ever leaving your prayer closet, right? Without ever leaving my recliner, um, uh, I can still make incredible impact. But we got women and men that are out there on the trenches uh, right now. Uh, Uh, If you are a homeschooler, a private school administrator, staff member or teacher, uh, if you're a public school administrator, staff member or teacher, would you stand? Would you stand where you are? would you reach out toward they're going to symbolize all of our teachers would you reach out to them let's let's bless them and dedicate them to the lord oh god thank you so much for the amazing people that you call to impact young lives god uh, for for um, their good and your glory god thank you especially for the the Christian teachers that you have placed, the Christian staff members who you have placed strategically in, in their homes and in private schools, and public schools to impact others. God, we pray that you would just bless them richly. Joe and, and Sarah representing the larger teaching community. But I think of all of our retired teachers right here in the room. God, I just pray that, that there never be a day when, when you stop using us for your glory. But I know, God, that their task is overwhelming. And just as my arms are getting heavy from holding them up here, God, I know that they have heavy burdens, which they carry every day. We just pray, God, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, that they could cast their burdens on you. Jesus, that you would lead them moment by moment and day by day as they bless our students. And we just look forward to joy, God, to celebrating nine months from now how you use Joe and Sarah and all the teachers and staff members they represent for your glory. We entrust them to you in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Would you give our love to your coworkers, to the people that you serve with, and and then please just let us know if there's any way we can walk beside you in these coming days. Well, we also have this great privilege of um, dedicating our students. Beth, did that seem weird for you not to stand right then. It <laughs> did. You've been in this for a couple of years. All these all these retired teachers in our midst, and they're going, wow. But you know what they're experiencing, don't you? You know exactly what they're experiencing. We're so blessed from the from, uh, very first time a three-year-old walks into a preschool, uh, right? Or or a PhD candidate walks into his new university from from three years old to 30 years old. We never stop learning. And, and if you are a student right now, we won't embarrass you too much. Um, But if you are a student, would you stand just so we could pray for you? Students of all, come on, you guys in the back. We know you're students. All right. You guys, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I'm looking at several seniors. I'm looking at um, people that God has strategically placed in their schools to make an impact for the kingdom of God. Would you reach out if you're near one of them? Um, Touch them appropriately. Maddie, appropriately. Um, and then and then uh, if you if you would pray with me, God, thank you so much um, that we're all students. We're all people who are lifelong learners. But in this intense time of, of education for our students here, I just pray that 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 you would reveal yourself powerfully. You would grant them everything they need, God, to to um, learn and to grow and to become exactly the woman or man that you created them to be. To find that sweet spot, God, to find that vocation, that calling that that will allow them to spend their energies with joy the rest of their life. I know there will be hard times uh, in the weeks and months ahead. I know there will be pressures, the balancing act out of all the things that they need to do. But I know you're a great God, and so we entrust our students to you now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys as you uh, do, you, you physically live out what all of us are called to, to continue to learn. Bill, we've been doing this a long time, right? And, and we, it's like aha moments every week when, when uh, God says, no, i still got more for you. There's more to learn. So, well, what a great, great privilege. Let me just close us in prayer as we come before the Lord, and then we will open God's word together. God, thank you for this day. When we can begin a new season uh, for so many of our families, God, a, a new school year. This is really the beginning of the year. But I thank you that, um, God, there's always new beginnings with you. I thank you that there's never a time when when our options are closed and, and all we do is live out the consequences of our decisions. God, you change everything from from a person yesterday morning just coming into the room to get a meal. God, you can, you can use that meal to change everything. From our Kairos brothers and sisters who are impacting our jails and prisons for the kingdom of God. I just thank you that there's a new beginning right now. And God, especially for our teachers and the school's. Uh, our students, God thank you that this is a brand new beginning, and it 's not going to be the same as has always been in the past. God, with you, you change everything, you open infinite possibilities. God is it possible, even if we 're not a teacher or um, a professional student at this point? God even if, even if we 're um, just people wanting to know you more? Is it possible that you would meet us here in this place? That you'd free us from the bondage, God, of fear. And allow hope to spring up within us again. God, would you open our hearts and minds to not only your truth, God, which sets us free, but also, God, to your presence Your presence right here. Father, we we're broken people. As Isaiah said, we are people of unclean lips and we walk among people of unclean lips. But our eyes have seen the King. We've seen you, God. So forgive us our sins. Would you, God? There are many. Let's say As I so often do, we cry out to you, wash us, wash us in the blood of the Lamb. Remove, Father, all of our sin from us so that we might see clearly, that we might hear clearly, so that we might step into your perfect plan for our lives. God, thank you. That whenever we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We live into that future. In that future today, we place our hope. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Goodness, if you find yourself um, heavy burdened still, see, you're not alone. I'm, all of us struggle to offload the burdens of our sin at the foot of the cross. We all struggle to do that. We always want to take them back. But if you're in that place, please don't leave today without telling someone, without asking someone, would, would you pray for me? Because you were not created to live a life of burden. You were created to live a life of freedom. And that freedom is available to you today. Wow. Well, let's open the Word of God. Actually, would you turn first of all on your phones or in your Bibles, uh, would you turn first to the end of the book of Romans, almost the end, Romans 15. Romans 15 our memory verse is found in Romans 15:13. It'll be our benediction today in a few moments, and it'll it'll it's our our hope and our promise as we open God's word today. I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning, and Paul says, "May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing" So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound or overflow in hope. Will you say that with me? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And then our, our address, our reference is Romans 15, 13. Romans fifteen thirteen. Now turn back, just would you, a couple of pages to Romans chapter eight. I've been looking forward to to returning to this book. We haven't been here in I think twelve years uh, to for this to study this uh, pinnacle of one of the greatest theological treatises in all the Bible. This this amazing chapter uh, about. Hope about the goodness of God. Today, we're going to tr- turn especially to a middle verse in the middle of this greatest chapter. We're going to look at it all over the next seven weeks. Um, but, but I wanted to start by a summary passage from Romans 8, verse 31 to 34. 31 to 34, just a couple of verses with some very powerful questions that will help guide us in our study of the balance of the chapter, right? Romans eight thirty-one to thirty-four. What then, the apostle Paul says? Shall we say in response to these things? No. Now, what are these things? It's eight chapters of amazing, uh, powerful spiritual truth that culminated right in in the end of. Uh, romans twenty nine and thirty with this amazing sequence uh, that, in one sentence, describes the journey that all of us are on to to complete glorification before God. those he called he he also glorified in summarizing the whole verse, right the apostle. Paul puts together what our denomination calls the the um, order salutus the 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 order of salvation right and and we 'll look at that together so he 's just he 's just he hit this pinnacle in eight 28, 29, 30, and and now he says, what shall we say? In other words, at the end of our study, what shall we say about all these things in response to all these things? And he summarizes it with a question. If God is for us, who can be against us, right? Wow. Wow. If God is for us, who can be against us? He continues, he who did not spare his own son... But gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? And and furthermore, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Yet another question. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Would you say that? No one. Who, congregation, is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. The very word of God. Oh, thank you, God. And our Old Testament passage today is one that we reference several times a year because it's so powerful. It comes from 2 Kings chapter 6 when Elisha, now the disciple of Elijah, is, is trying to help his servant, his disciple, Understand Romans eight, which hasn't yet been written, but he's trying to speak truth into his disciples' life. Elijah had been given, excuse me, Elisha had been given insight into the movements of the enemy of Israel that time, Aram, or we know it as Syria, and and every time the Syrian. Uh, king would strategically move to conquer Israel. God would tell Elisha, he'd tell the king and they would they would uh, double back. They would get up. They would get out of it. And finally, the Syrian king just says, this is ridiculous. Who in the room is telling the king of Israel all of our movements? And, and one of his advisors says, there's this guy, Elisha, and it's like he's, this is what he says literally, it's like he's in your bedroom, king. Right? He hears everything you say. And the king got ticked off and, and sent his armies. Where is this guy, Elisha? Oh, he's in this little town near Samaria called Dothan. The, the king of Syria invaded Israel, went right past the king of Israel and went after Elisha. And Elisha and his servant get up in the morning and there is the armies of Syria surrounding them. Ever felt surrounded, right? And, and the servant is just beside himself. And, and Elisha prays, uh, prays this prayer. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Elisha answers, those who are with us are more than who are with them. Now, remember, he's looking at maybe 10,000 warriors out there, right? Those who are with us. And if I'm the servant, I'm kind of going. Remember when you were a kid and and, and you threatened someone and they said, yeah, you and what army, right? Um, Elisha and his servant are there by themselves. And Elisha prays, open his eyes, Lord. So that he may see. No, understand, he was not blind. He could see, but he couldn't see. Maybe like you feel this morning. I I can see, but I just can't see, God, what you're doing in my life right now. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. All right. He saw the army of God which was there the whole time and he could not see it. The very word of God. Thank you God. I love it that, that God's word often gives us propositional truth like a lot of what we're going to wrestle with today. But then it also gives us real solid examples of that propositional truth lived out. So when you when you reflect back, and, and end of summer maybe is a good time to do that, you reflect back on the landscape of your life, right? And you say, where, where, where did I just experience joy? We always ask in our small groups, you know, what, what, what are you excited about? What's good right now, right? Then you also reflect back and say, where, where were my greatest struggles, right? Think. The Apostle Paul understood that one of our greatest struggles is a lack of hope, right? Think about it. Think of the transitions that you and your family have been through, even in the last few months, right? Uh, and, And we're so tempted to stop hoping. We're so tempted to stop believing that things can be different, right? One of our greatest struggles is It's the loss of hope, right? And and the Bible says that's most often expressed in fear. In fear, right? But I want to, for a few moments with you, as we think about the big picture of Romans chapter 8, which is really the big picture of the whole book of Romans, right? Why? Why do we experience hopelessness, right? Is it? Is it just and I'm not saying it's not, but is it is it just that our guilt and our and our shame, right, are our greatest struggles and problems? See you're created in God's image, right? And so it makes sense that that when you struggle with things that are not of God, it's gonna produce in you two things, guilt and sometimes Shame, And we grossly oversimplified this, but I just remind you that one way we've tried to understand the difference between those things is that guilt is the realization that we have done something bad. And we've explored before there's good guilt sometimes when you really have done something bad and there's bad guilt when you start to feel guilty for things that are not your um, not your cause, not your problem. Guilt is the realization that we've done something bad. But shame? Shame is the perception that we are bad. And it's not a great distance between the two. Right? No matter what kind of front we put on for people, deep down inside we often battle false messages. Messages from from the world, from our own selves, and even from the evil one right revelation 10 talks about satan being cast out of heaven what is he doing right the evil ones constantly and daily accusing god's people accusing you before god right God, do you really know what that person watches on their phone? Do you really know what that person says in anger, in the quietness of their... God, if you knew these people, you would not love them, right? And it's really easy for us, between the world and our own flesh and the evil one all saying those things, it's really easy for us to lose hope that we could ever overcome, right? Here's here's the problem. Satan is only half right, right? He's only half right. Satan always does that. He takes a little bit of truth and mixes it with a great big lie. Yes, we sin. Am I the only one? We do, right? We struggle sometimes. We're not righteous. We're not in right relationship with one another. Not even with ourselves sometimes, right? Right? We are not righteous and sinful, but but Christ has borne our sins. He has borne our guilt. He has borne our shame. Right? Everything has changed, right? So why do we still respond the way we do with so much fear? Well, again... Where Paul is taking us today is the culmination of eight chapters of amazing truth. You can break Romans down into the first eight chapters of doctrinal truth and then three more chapters of truths about the people of Israel, God's people and then and then, and then, four chapters at the end about how do we apply that truth it 's a simple breakdown of the book of Romans. but right here, in the middle of this eighth chapter, uh, Paul writes to us um, some questions, some clarifying questions that can help us on the journey. Three of those questions are unanswered here. And and in a sense, a lot of us would understand them as rhetorical. Do you know that word? It's where you you say a question, but everybody knows the answer, right? Everybody knows the answer. And these three unanswered questions I'm going to suggest to you focus on what is true. What is true, right? What is the first question? What then do we say to these things, if God has a plan for us, if if he has called us, if he has redeemed us, if he has. And it's actually in the, in the past tense glorified us in Romans 830. Right. What do we say to these things? And I'm going to have to speed dial this. But but what we say is if God has done those things and God is for us. Then the second question, who can be against us, right? What do we say? If God is for us, then who can stand against us? We sang just a few moments ago. Wow. What does it mean that God is for us, right? To continue kind of the mental picture conjured up by these words, uh, I think about like a sports team, right? Right. What would it mean that God is for a sports team? My dad is rejoicing that football season started again. He even watched a preseason game. That shows you how desperate he is for football, right? But, but he's rejoicing in that re, uh, re-beginning of the sports season, right? Well, if it was a sports team, would, that would mean that God's on our team, right? And if it was a courtroom, it would mean that God is on our legal team, right? If it was a debate, I mean God would be speaking for our team. And many times, we, as we slide into those, those human analogies, we begin to think that these verses are all about us grabbing God and bringing Him in to endorse our plans, right? It, blessing our team. Here's what I'm going to do, God. Would you please bless this? But here's the deal. In our close reading, and we'll go back and pick it up, of Romans 8, we'll see that and that's not quite true, right? couple in the preceding 30 verses of Romans chapter 8, we realize that we don't do the grabbing. We don't do the drafting, right? We don't recruit this legal team. No, God has already grabbed us And he continues to grab us and to hold on to us, to keep us by his side each and every day of our lives. The so question is not, is God on our side, right? Remember, uh, reading about the Civil War and, and generals on both sides is believing, God, you're on our side. We're dedicating. How can that be? How could God be on both sides? God's not on our side, Right. He invites us to be on his side. Are you? Are you on God's side? Do you know how even to do that? Well, there's only one way, right? There's only one way to get on God's side. Jesus, we celebrated this yesterday morning at graveside, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life no one comes to god's side no one comes to the father except through me what we did earlier in our pastoral prayer when we confessed our sins right when we offered those burdens to him that's that's how we get on god's side we go through jesus christ if god is for us Who can be against us? But then he asks yet another rhetorical question. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I'm going to strangle the Apostle Paul when I see him face to face, right? Why did you write those long sentences and it's confusing honestly when you look at it because of all the hymns in it. who are the hymns in this verse both god the father and jesus christ but i think that we could paraphrase it maybe this way god who did not spare god's own son but offered offered his son up for us all how will god not also with jesus Graciously give us all things. Thanks for hanging with me through this, slogging through the theology of this. It's going to get a lot simpler. It's going to get a lot simpler here, right? Paul is arguing for the son's infinite value and, and worth, right? Therefore, if God has given us the son, right, he will give us all things, including the son. That's not simpler, Pastor David. Let me get simpler, right? How will God keep anything from you if he has already given you everything? You following me? We have this fear that God is going to keep something from us, right? It might be as simple as, as the fruit on our angel food cake at dinner last night. And watching, watching everybody else go I'm going, is there still going to be some fruit for me, God, at the end of this family meal, right? It might be as silly or as stupid as, as that but, but how would God keep anything good from his children when he has already given you the greatest thing, right? It's not going to make sense that God would withhold good from you when he's already given you the ultimate good, right? Sometimes we feel that God is some kind of weird father who loves to take us on a grand ...tour of life and kind of dangles the good and lovely things and then says, you can't have any of it. I don't know if that's left over from, from what Genesis chapter 3, right? God gave them all things and permission to eat from all the trees of the garden except one, right? And, and they believed the lie that God was not on their side, that he was not for them. And they ate from that one tree. How about you, do you know our good, good Father, right? Do you know our Heavenly Father? How often do you go to God and say, "God, if I could only have this, right, it would be great." And I don't mean to diminish that because sometimes those, this is, are very, very important. I guess what. Paul is asking of the Romans and what he's asking of you and me today is what kind of father is God? What kind of father is he right? What what kind of treasures are in Christ? What kinds of longings do I still have that make me doubt that God is for me? Right. What am I asking God for? What am I daring Him to give me, just to prove His love for me. Paul asked the Romans these questions, and the Bible confronts these same questions. How will you answer these questions today? Is God for you? Do you know the God who is for you? And Paul gives us two answered previous ones were rhetorical or unanswered. He gives us two answered question. God has shown us how he is for us and what 's the first one? who can charge us right? Can you picture this scenario in front of a judge and and uh, prosecution is accusing you of something, and the judge has already said that you 're innocent right it's just like a foolish thing who Who can charge? Well, tons of people can charge you against things. And and half-truths, even some of them, right? But it's God who justifies. It's God who says, that one is mine. I've already paid the price for her sin. I have already offered my own son for his guilt and shame, right? So... So, God invites us to leave behind this knee jerk reaction of fear and to put our weight down on the declaration God has already made that you who are in Christ are forgiven right the second question is similar who then is to condemn jesus christ is the one who died more than that who was raised who's at the right hand of god who's interceding for us the same guy who gave his life for us right now in heaven is at the right hand of god the father interceding that's long word for praying for you right oh my goodness God has already declared you justified through your faith in Jesus Christ. And yes, you're still in many and various trials, right? But God has Jesus at his side interceding for you. Now, let me just ask you, you got Satan accusing you on one side, right? You got Jesus interceding for you. Who do you think God is going to respond to? Right? I'm sorry, it's a terrible question for me to ask, but but you've got so much going for you. Jesus is already there. I love the, the past, the present, and the continuing into the future aspect of this. He did die for you. He was raised for you. He right now, present, is at the right hand of God. And in, in, the, in the unique voice of, of the Greek, he's not only praying for you, but he's going to continue to pray for you. He will not let you go. Oh, what does this all being, right? When those voices come up, those voices from the world says God doesn't love you. Voices from your own flesh. And I say flesh. It might be through your mind. It might be through, be through those childhood. The soundtracks that you have been listening to, right? Those voices that over and over again say you are worth nothing, right? It might be through, through those things. I call them flesh because they're not of God. You, you have been redeemed by Jesus. But it might certainly be from the evil one himself who is accusing us day and night before God. when we find ourselves hearing those voices, Paul says there is another voice. There is another reality. Open your eyes to this. Worship team, would you come on up forward? Let's go back. Can we for just a second to northern Israel? Where were we? Oh, my goodness. Um, uh, where are we? I'm losing track for a second. We are hundreds of years before the time of Christ. And and. One guy has come to grips with the truths that we have just shared today. Elisha. He is so in tune with God that, that he speaks on behalf of God into a world so torn apart with division and, and hatred. Right? He speaks into that. Now he's surrounded. His servant is freaking out. And, and he has this amazing calm in the midst of the storm, right? Uh, where does that calm come from? It, it, it comes because he's fixed his eyes on God. He's fixed the eyes, as Paul would later say, on the author and perfecter of his faith. Excuse me, Hebrews. Uh, the author and perfecter of his faith. So, so so one person is torn apart. The other one is perfectly calm. And the one Who's resting in the truths of God, praise for the other one. Praise for the other one. Oh God, open his eyes. Oh God, open her eyes, right? Um, Let her see truth. Let her see truth. Let him experience truth truth. But then he takes it one step further, right? Not only to to see and 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 understand truth, right? But also but also to be transformed by it. And I want to say in particular, Elisha saw the things that were true in the midst of all the falsehood. Elisha saw also though how God truly was with his people. God, excuse me, Elisha prayed for God's help to see the things that were true of us as well. Maybe, just maybe, as we embark on this amazing journey in the book of Romans chapter 8 over the next few weeks, we can do the same. We can, we can have, we can ask God to open our eyes to the things that are true, God, open our eyes to your presence in the midst of us and then help us intercede for those who cannot yet see those things. I love the sacrament of Holy Communion. It's a a gift of God to those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. And to, and to those who may are nurturing and, and bringing up in the faith, they're, they're baptized children, right? It's this gift of God to remember that no matter how dark the night gets, no matter how difficult the journey gets, God will never leave you or forsake you. And as real as the bread I'm holding in my hands this morning is his presence for us today. So God, take the simple bread, would you, and make it the sacrament of the Lord's supper. Take this grape juice, God, and and make it the sacrament of the Lord's blood, which cleanses us of all unrighteousness. God, as is, as is, as sure as we take this bread into our bodies, as sure as we drink this cup, God, may we, may we be filled with your presence, with your comfort, with your hope, with your truth, God. So that as we engage in the world around us, as we in prayer go out and make a difference in our community, God, that, that we might bring Jesus through us to them. Mm. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it. Do this in remembrance of me. Whereas often, Paul says, as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim truth. You proclaim presence. You proclaim the Lord's death, his life, his resurrection until he comes again. As we close tonight with a one closing song, we're going to invite you to come up and to go to either side tables. How do we normally do that? We come on the outside aisles. And we come by the tables and pick up the elements. We come back on the two things, and that will help you slip right back into the same place in the pews. Would you take the elements and retain them until all have been served, and and then we'll partake of them together? Let's come before the Lord.